I mean, I guess, uh, like, <laughs> um, Peter records from a train. Just ignore like, that. That's funny as Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, curator of photographs of famous boats. I am co-host Jeremy Ruggles, absolute destroyer of boom stands. I'm Peter Cook, ameliorator of Amelia Bedelia. That was a cute one. <laughs> You know Amelia Bedelia? No. I think there's someone else here. Hello, I am Andrew, a.k.a. Andreas, a.k.a. The Righteous Wax Chaperone. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We've been talking off and on about having you on the podcast for a few months. There's been a few records we've discussed. You want to tell the people which one we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. We are going to talk about Norman Connors' You Are My Starship, recorded in 1976. You are my starship. Yep. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Looks like Peter's done his homework on this record. <laughs> yeah, a lot of focus and research. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You said it was released yeah, in 1976? Released in 76, yep. So probably recorded prior to that, but... Right on. Do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself before we dive in on Norman Connors? Sure. I have been collecting records seriously for about 20 years. I also DJ and produce music. I used to make beats for rappers when I lived in Chicago. Um, that's also where I connected with a bunch of people that were way more knowledgeable about music history and records. People like Dante Carfagna and Cortland Green, uh, Tony Janda, rest in peace, Andrew Brarley, Mediocre, bunch of, ben, oh, Ben Perani, you just had on. Recent so, guest of ours. Yeah. And I think you, DJ, you DJ'd at the uh, show that he played at Shakespeare's in Kalamazoo uh, uh, about a year and a half ago. Dude, that is correct. Yeah, they they ripped it, man. Uh, J-Zone on drums and, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Good time for sure. Yep. Well, cool. Let's go ahead and get started with the first track. We both need each other. Side A, track one. Thank you. 
So I, I think I know who Norman Connors was in the mix there, but who was that other voice? Well, first off, Norman Connors was not the one singing. Well, damn, I didn't do any research. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it this time, Peter. Even I knew that. <laughs> damn. All right, Jeremy, you want to school us on who the two vocalists on that track were? No, I don't know who was singing. I just know it wasn't Norman. <laughs> <laughs> he plays drums. Yep. He is the drummer on this record. Drummer, uh, arranger, songwriter, etc. But the vocalists were, at this point, two relative newcomers, Michael Henderson and Phyllis Hyman. Ah, yes. I know that latter name. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Both of them had pretty successful solo careers right after this record. Norman was actually famous for being the guy that would just could spot up and coming talent and really help launch careers for other people. That sense of community and helping each other out was a, his still seems to be a big thing for him. Some of the more recent interviews I've watched, he talks a lot about how like the thing he's most proud of is just all the people he was able to meet and perform with and help out along the way. That's dope. It's a noble cause. Yeah. seems like a great guy. I gotta say from everything I've heard so far. Yeah. So, Andrew, you want to give us a little uh, background for you personally on this record? Like, when was the first time you heard it? What what brought you to this record? Sure. Specifically, this We Both Need Each Other track, I don't think was commercially or too commercially successful for Norman Connors, but uh, I'm pretty sure I recall hearing that on V103 in Chicago, like Herb Kent, The Cool Gent, or... Some you know probably probably him like playing it in the evening on Chicago radio. I mean it's totally fits like the stepper vibe, and I'm pretty sure I remember hearing it pretty early on there. But as far as when I first got the record, I was trying to recall if I had to guess it was at Hi-Fi on Clark early 2000s, probably for a dollar. Right on. I mean I would assume yeah for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> It was a dollar record then, and it's still a dollar record today. Yeah, yeah. So mostly because this was a huge breakout success record for Norman. Before this point, he was primarily known as more of a strictly jazz musician, and oftentimes a kind of you know weirdo avant-garde free jazz kind of player. So him crossing over into R and B music was kind of a big deal, and it was extremely successful for him. Yeah, that's that was my understanding of this one too. I did look up like just and we can get to this later too, but like as far as chart success, by far this was the most successful out of all his output. So, I'm sure Yeah, from what I had seen like all of his solo records, like each one slightly outperformed the one before it, and then this thing was like 
the first one that charted on you know the jazz charts the r&b charts and i believe the pop charts as well and he never quite duplicated the success of this one but he still had he still sold a ton of records for a long time after this Mm -hmm. and then uh he also had a huge resurgence with like the hip-hop community later on because this record has been sampled a ton in hip-hop we'll get to uh we'll get to the sample in a little bit the sample there's lots of samples (laughs) right there's lots of samples but there's there's one that stands out to me and probably a lot of our listeners more than others on the next track we're going to play jeremy and peter do you guys have any uh previous experience with norman connors have you heard his stuff at all before no well i (laughs) i think that i've demonstrated that i know very little about norman connors already i did however when you uh, suggest I check out You Are My Starship, I recognized that track, the title track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I might have also recognized it from various samples. So, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that when we get there once again. I, I don't mean to go back to the samples right away. So no, not, not a lot of background <laughs> with Norman Connors other than I know his name and uh, I'm ready to learn more. Definitely. I was literally Googling Norman Mahler. It like his name didn't even stick in my brain and i don't think i've i don't remember ever seeing a norman connor's record around i don't know if it's one of those like if you don't know what it is it doesn't register in your brain or if maybe i just haven't seen it i don't know never heard of it oh uh, you've definitely seen it it's he's got a handful of records that are mm. always in the dollar bins um, you are my starship and romantic journey come to mind as I see romantic journey everywhere, like probably oh, yeah. be- because of the success from the You Are My Starship. That was his follow up, and they probably just sent him out there like so many copies. I like the cover a lot. Yeah, I I, I see. Uh, this is your life quite frequently as well. When he's yep. just you know chilling with a horse on the beach, as yeah. he would do, I guess. The cover of this one <laughs> confuses me because he's talking about a starship, but he's on a boat yeah yeah it's also (laughs) funny because that's not even his boat that boat that boat belongs to john wayne the actor (laughs) wow yeah Yeah, it's pretty funny i don't know like what the thought process was on that you know (laughs) can we get a starship no but john wayne can loan me his boat for the weekend (laughs) all right (laughs) close Close enough enough. (laughs) right amazing i mean he does look fully ready for a you know a romantic getaway on this boat for the weekend he looks Mm -hmm. he's primed (laughs) for anyone that wants to come along with him for sure well i'm ready to come along with him well you guys also ready to hear another clip then sure yeah all right so this is this is the one with the big sample on it title track you are my starship we're gonna hear more vocals by michael henderson again Thank you. 
jazz crossover ballad just doesn't get any better than that i want to i want to know what peter and jeremy feel about this record so far though jeremy what what are your thoughts two tracks in i well i guess my i was gonna address the whole thing but i liked the songs that were more like that myself kind of the slow vibey ones there were some interesting jazzy like more jazzy feeling ones i guess that i don't know they were interesting but they didn't grab me like that does that was very vibing peter what's what's your take on norman connor so far sonic delight <laughs> right <laughs> sample <on>. ready <laughs> yeah yeah who wants to tell the people what well, the famous sample is from that track the famous one dreas how about you take it <laughs> okay. Um there are there are more than one but like the the one that resonated with me that I heard first was Mob Deep's Trife Life. Mhm. And then also uh Guru on I think the first Jasmine Taz it I don't know if it's Primo who made the beat. I assumed it was, but then I listened to it recently and I'm like it doesn't sound like a Primo production, but it's on Jasmine Taz volume 1, I'm pretty sure as well. Yeah. Yep. There are a number of names that I'm seeing on whosample.com that I recognize Onyx MCA, Adina Howard, Grand Rapids native, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tupac, a remix of Papa's song. It was used on that. Just, it goes on and on. LL Cool J. All, I mean, big. I'm pretty sure. I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure DJ Paul and like three, six mafia did something fairly recently with it too. Yeah. It just goes on and on. Yeah. Easily one of the, the most, sampled records in hip-hop it would seem there's there's cuts from like every song that people have used because it's just so damn good Mm. and honestly aside from the samples one of the things i love about this record is how much ground it covers we've talked before about with some r&b records how it just seems like it's like the same kind of vibe throughout the whole thing and it gets a little tiring as a full album piece but this one i think just has 
so much more dynamic to it that it stays interesting all the way through. Yeah, I never got yeah. bored during it. I was always like, oh, okay, we're going this way, okay. Right, uh, and I'll add that. So we kind of skipped over the Betcha by Galley Wow cover with Phyllis Hyman singing. I learned something there. Um, I have a Northern Soul record by Connie Stevens called TikTok, and the flip is some, something like Keep Growing, which was actually the first version of Betcha by Golly Wow. So I learned that actually uh, in researching briefly for this podcast. By Golly so, Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we skipped over Bubbles, which has Shunzo Ono on trumpet going for it. And props to him. He's a Grammy award winning artist. But like, I, it, I, that one I just don't get. But then it goes into You Are My Starship and everything just is right in the world. Yeah, definitely. The the jazz tracks on here can be a little hit or miss. Some of them are in like a, a weird fusion territory, mm. um, but it still, it keeps it interesting going up and down. You don't quite know what to expect on this. And I, I think from all the research I've done, that vibe was very intentional with Norman Connors, like a little bit of background with him. As I mentioned before, he came from more of a free jazz background. You know, he grew up in Philadelphia, moved to New York, and then started hanging out in the village all the time. And, you know, even before that, he was hanging with people like John Coltrane and Sun Ra and really looked up to a lot of these more experimental musicians. Mm. But at the same time, he also grew up listening to a lot of like Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and people like that. And to him, it was it was both music that he loved, so it was natural to try and fuse it together. And that was his intent with this. Have some contemporary jazz, have some experimental jazz, and have some R&B. Just mix it all together and see what happens. For sure. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, that's like kind of like the perfect embodiment of it for him. And I guess commercially it paid off. So It's interesting that at this time that was kind of a revolutionary formula you flash forward 20 years and mixing jazz into hip-hop is a revolutionary formula mm. and you know the fact that this stuff is used so much in hip-hop but it's a blend of r&b and jazz i feel like he's he's ahead of the game or changing the game totally you know and uh when we did the bob james episode we talked a lot about older musicians and their varying opinions on hip-hop and sample culture and i thought norman connors had actually like a really interesting take on that i watched a recent interview where someone asked him about how he felt about all the the hip-hop artists sampling jazz records and his thing was that in his experience most other genres were already influenced and played by jazz musicians like he was saying that you know r&b records the best ones were all jazz guys in the studio and you know, even after he went into more R&B territory full on, he was still only hiring jazz musicians to do it. And the same thing with like pop music. He was talking about Quincy Jones making some of the biggest pop records of the 80s and doing it with pretty much all jazz musicians. So to him, jazz had already permeated all these other genres. So it only made sense that it would be the primary influence of a lot of hip hop stuff as well. He's right. For sure. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's just such a refreshingly 
like progressive opinion on it i feel like the majority of the older guys are just like nah fuck it like Mm. people shouldn't use samples why can't they make their own songs (laughs) right every few years people have to be reminded that jazz has its place in hip-hop i feel like even five six years ago when kendrick lamar put out to pimp a butterfly and there were strong jazz influences on that it was considered this big deal but like you know the roots weren't doing that many years earlier and a lot of other groups in the 90s sampling jazz or having live musicians mm-hmm. even for sure yeah absolutely well you guys want a, a quick bio of norman connors we talked about a few of the things already but i can fill in the holes real quick friend of john wayne <laughs> presumably <laughs> supposedly yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard no other reference to john wayne aside from him using his boat once <laughs> and the other famous person that he does still name drop a lot whose name has soured in recent years but he grew up four doors away from bill cosby and was actually like pretty close with bill's younger brothers growing up in philadelphia he was born march 1st 1947 and was a child prodigy was just early on drawn to music and said that like his entire childhood he remembers playing eight to ten hours every single day and he also had like a crazy amount of like confidence and drive he's he was telling all these stories about being 13 and just like figuring out where the famous musicians lived and where they jammed and walking up to people like miles davis and john coltrane just being like hey i'm norman connors can i sit in and it like it worked a lot of the times too which is crazy there's one night where elvin jones couldn't play and he literally like at the age of 13 played a whole coltrane concert and then was asked to come back for the next two days and do it again dang (laughs) yeah that's amazing yeah it's just it's just wild (laughs) apparently he asked miles quite a few times but was not given the opportunity at that young of an age he later on played with him i think in his like early 20s he studied at temple here in philadelphia and then got a full ride scholarship to juilliard in new york and started hanging out in the scene there quite often and his first full paid gig as a band member was with brother jack mcduff during the time when george benson was also the guitarist in that group so that was his first exposure to touring and regular gigging was doing more of that soul jazz pop sound which also makes a lot of sense why he was fully ready to cross back over into R&B a few years later. And then the free jazz stuff, he joined Archie Shep's group. His first recording debut was in 1967 on Archie Shep's Magic of Juju record, hmm. which is not a dollar bin album, but it no. is amazing. I have that, and I honestly didn't even know until right now so (laughs) i'm gonna go go back and listen to it with some different ears uh yeah totally so shortly after that he joined pharaoh sanders group full-time and continued to play with pharaoh sanders throughout their careers they've done collaborations up until current day some notable pharaoh sanders records that he's on are live in the east black unity village of the pharaohs and a handful of others femby i don't think he's on that one that was my first it's exposure like, to Pharaoh, so I, it's the first one I think yeah, of. Yeah, that's an amazing record, for sure. A <laughs> couple other records he played on. He's on uh, Sam Rivers' Streams album on Blue Note, which is a fucking classic as well. Charles Earland's Odyssey, mm. and uh, he's on a very rare jazz record by a guy named Jothan Collins. The record Winds of Change 
It's like a three-figure spiritual jazz record that is very dope. And then he put out his first record as band leader in 1972 on the Cobblestone label. He moved to Buddha Records the next year in 73. And then this album, Starship, was his last record for Buddha before moving to Arista. 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 Yeah, in 77 after this. I know that pronunciation thanks to our former guest, Greg Kaz. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I mentioned before that he was famous for helping up-and-coming musicians. Uh, A short list of people that he did big things for are Stanley Clark, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Gene Carn, and then Phyllis Hyman and Michael Henderson, like we mentioned. He, uh, in his solo records, he had a a string of hiring uh, female lead singers and then having to hire new ones after they got too famous. Like Dee Dee Bridgewater Mm -hmm. was his first and then she started a solo career. Then he hired this new girl, Jean Carn, and then she started a solo career. And at this point, he was on to Phyllis Hyman, who was also starting a famous solo career. I seem to recall she died fairly young, Phyllis Hyman. I don't know if that's true I, I or think not. It, it, it could I think be. she passed in the 90s. I, I, I seem to recall that being the first time I heard her name. It was, I, it was right around the same time as Jerry Garcia. A weird <laughs> association, but yeah. Oh, she died by suicide in 1995. Oh. Oh, wow. Damn. Bummer. There are a crazy cast of players on this record. I mean, like, all his records had pretty wild casts. For a while, he was intentionally trying to hire as many people who played with Miles Davis in order to convince Miles to let him play with him. Oh, my God. (laughs) So a lot of his early records have... um, There's a couple... Yeah, Herbie Hancock is on his first few records, as well as a few other guys that played with Miles. And there's there's a few people with some Miles associations on this record as well. Real quick, I'm going to try and uh, dive through some of the highlights on here, see if any of these names jump out to you guys. The other guy who has arrangement and producer credits on this is Onaj Alan Gums. It's not a name I was terribly familiar with, but looking at the other work he did, he's a piano and synth player. He's on records with Carlos Garnett, who was an earlier Norman Connors associate, Cecil McBee is a great free jazz artist and also was on some Roy Ayers material. Hell yeah. And then we got Art Webb on flute. He also was on a handful of Farrell Sanders records and also did a string of records with the great Ray Barreto. Mm. Gary Bartz on saxophone, one of the absolute <sighs> all-time great sax players, jazz, funk, free jazz, all of it. Total monster. Like, if, if he's on a record, you can just buy it. It's great. Yeah. I agree, man. And I, I forgot to mention, but that solo on You Are My Starship like almost makes the whole track for me. I mean, the whole vibe is right, but then that comes in and you're like, wow, they, yeah. are, they are hitting it on all levels right there. <laughs> Definitely. I should also note that he's been putting out some new material that, in my opinion, is actually really good. He's hooked up with the, the Jazz is Dead records crew and has a new album coming out in April. So Sweet check that out i didn't know that that's awesome so adrian young is producing with yeah adrian young and ali shaheed muhammad the whole thing with that label is they like get some younger jazz musicians as the backing band Mm. and then have like these you know old guard legends come and play with them and everything i've heard so far has been really really good so i'm excited for that record that's that's awesome yeah likewise i i like the roy ayers project that they did i would love to head 
actually attended some of their shows that they put together out in LA. I see them and I'm I've got serious FOMO every time they announce one. Oh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we got Don Alias on percussion. This is the Miles Davis Association because he played percussion on Bitches Brew. Oh yeah. And then we have two violinists, Noel Pointer, who had a pretty successful solo career after this and is also on a ton of records. Notably, he played on Alice Coltrane's Transfiguration. Mm. And we also have John Blake on violin, another guy that played with Archie Shep, and then also did a string of records with Grover Washington Jr. later on. So... Yeah, man, these are all people who uh, can stretch out into that uh, free territory, but are playing it uh, very like pop music here, R&B. Exactly. And honestly, like there's a huge trend of guys with a free jazz background crossing over into smooth jazz eventually. Yeah. Because like, especially from the spiritual jazz angle, like the stuff that Pharrell Sanders was doing, it's really not much of a stretch between that and some of the smoother, like more new age influenced stuff. It all has like heavy meditation vibes at points. So it's always made sense to me. Ian Underwood is on here. Peter, do you know that name? (laughs) From Zappa. Exactly. Full on Mothers of Invention member who played on, you know, the real famous early Zappa solo records as well, Apostrophe, etc. And then shortly after that became one of the more in demand synth players as a session musician and particularly on like jazz and funk records. You'll see him all over the place on stuff with a very similar vibe to this. And his wife was Ruth Underwood from Zappa's band. Oh, okay, cool. A handful of others. We got Tom Scott playing melodica. Who's another like he's played on like eight hundred plus records as sax and other various instruments. And again, has like a little bit of free jazz background and a lot of various smooth jazz and fusion jazz roots. Uh, Lee Rittenauer is on guitar here. Another smooth jazz legend. Mm. Keith Loving, also on guitar, who also played on Roberta Flack's Feel Like Making Love, an album that we covered on this show. Uh, Anthony Jackson on bass, another guy who played on Feel Like Making Love. And then the last name we're going to mention, the absolute goat, Hubert Eves III, playing piano and harpsichord on this record. Uh, Is anybody familiar with that dude? Can't say I am. Nope. Missing out. Hmm. I got FOMO now. (laughs) Offhand? No. Okay, Hubert Eves III was in M2 May. Mm. Okay. He was in the group, and before that, he was close partners with James M2 May. They did a lot of production stuff together, also working with the guitarist Reggie Lucas. Oh, yeah, we just mentioned him on the Ben Perani episode. Yeah, he's in just absolute legend of synth music and piano music. And, And that's another thing where... You know, him and James M. Tumay came from a more experimental jazz background and then moved into production for fusion jazz stuff and then started having these like monster funk hits later on in Mm -hmm. the 80s. Hubert Eves is one of those guys that if you see his name on a record, whether he's playing or producing, it's going to be good, period. Got it. He also was in Gary Bart's Into You group for a while, which is probably some of the Gary Bart stuff that you can find a little cheaper than his other material like that's in the 10 to 20 dollar range as opposed to some of his solo records but highly recommended Mm. i think it's time for another song i think so too let's hear these players in action we're gonna play the track just imagine so this is 
towards the end of the record when he's starting to transition to slightly weirder stuff and show off some of those earlier influences. quite as weird as a vibe as you might have thought from our buildup on that but i feel like if you listen to that song closely there's a lot of spiritual jazz roots well, to yeah. it that's and... a lot more jazzy than some of the other cuts oh totally yeah compared to the r&b stuff on here it's it's fully jazz for sure i think it makes a lot of sense with the kind of material that feral sanders was getting into in the mid 70s around this point and I also get a lot of like Kamasi Washington vibes from this. I feel yeah. like he was definitely got to be listening to some of that early Norman Connors when he was getting those solo records going. Yeah, and he was a <laughs> the aforementioned to pimp a butterfly. He was a big part of the jazz influence on that album. Absolutely. Yeah. When I hear that, it reminds me of like London late '90s, Giles Pearson spinning it out, jazz dance. I don't know if you guys are familiar with how UK jazz dance was a scene and just almost like post northern soul kind of subculture it, it not nearly as big but anyway that song is like a real good example of that kind of sound which also yeah. is you know related to the rare groove sound quote unquote of the 90s and 2000s definitely like that kind of jazz funk crossover that is mm -hmm. fully jazz but still danceable for the right crowd yeah yeah. Madchester is it. the only British genre I know. Manchester? Madchester. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but it sounds sounds funny. Uh, it's exactly what you think it is. Okay. Is it madness? Yeah, but British. <laughs> Wait, aren't madness British? What? We're going off somewhere. Oh, the group? What where are you guys going with this? <laughs> My God. <laughs> oh, uh. I know I know Brit Pop. 
Uh, <laughs> is this the section where we just try to name different British genres? I, I feel like our listeners would love that. <laughs> well, speaking of lists, uh, do you have some highlights from our Spotify playlist for this episode, Sean? Totally. So trying to keep with the R&B jazz crossover, um, the theme of this playlist is, you know, it, it gets it gets chill, it gets into the the soul territory and it gets into the weird jazz territory and kind of keeps blending in and out so i feel like it's a fun dynamic playlist just like this album starting off with the hit betcha by golly wow off this record that we did not play and then following that with tracks by michael henderson gene karn and phyllis hyman and then throughout the playlist we're also hearing from some of his contemporaries like tom brown lonnie liston smith Two different Farrell Sanders tracks, Ray Barreto, like we mentioned, Gary Bartz, Archie Shep, Charles Ireland, Patrice Russian, hearing some Jimmy Witherspoon and Jack McDuff, George Benson, and ending it with Max Roach, who he considered to be one of his absolute primary influences on drums, which makes he's sense. He's got the key. And he's got the key. Wait, did you put the Mob Deep Trap on there? No. I you got to put the Mob hmm. Deep Track on there. I could put that on there. That makes sense. And the Adina Howard and the Onyx and the MC8. (laughs) Gia. You know, the MC8 originated Gia as a side note. Oh, yeah. Gia. (laughs) My Glock Glock goes badada. Gia. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Um, One other other, thing. quick thing about the uh, you are my starship i was thinking about it and i had to look it up to verify but freddie mcgregor has a song called natural Kali, which is the melody is i mean it's basically you are my starship but he's talking about natural Kali, uh which i is what like tree or herb or something like that either way it's beautiful and i've had that 45 for so long and i always thought they borrowed it but i don't really know the connection but if you look online like who sampled or whatever it was that said Freddie McGregor covered You Are My Starship for Natural Kali uh, in 1980. Okay. And that is that is a great reggae record, by the way. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I always assumed Kali meant weed because like there's the the Lee Scratch Perry record with that in the title. So I was like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my assumption. That's, that's been my assumption too but you know i've never verified it so I just, yeah maybe it's a like traditional jamaican food i don't know <laughs> natural <laughs> golly hell yeah that, that would make sense it could go either way it could be both who knows ital kali <laughs> cool well does anybody have any closing thoughts before we play the final track and get on out of here well we should remind our listeners that If you liked this episode and you're interested in supporting our efforts here at I'd Buy That for a Dollar, you can always check us out on patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. All one block of letters there. You can find the link in the show notes as well. We have been getting a lot of people signing up for that lately to contribute and support our efforts here, our most recent Patreon supporter, Melanie, we thank you so much for your enthusiasm. And we have different tiers there that you can pledge to support us. The $1 tier gives you the early access to episodes. You'll get those a few days in advance. The $5 tier will also get you 
bonus episodes where we talk about 45s for 20 or 30 minutes. And the $20 tier, which is a limited tier, can get you the vinyl subscription where once a month we will send you an LP and 45 of our choosing along with a handwritten note. So if you're interested in helping out our efforts, patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Andrew, you got any anything you want to plug here before we head on out? I think I kind of cut you off slightly at the beginning there when you were talking about yourself. <laughs> so I've been collecting records for like 20 years or so. I DJ, I produce much less on the production tip lately. Um, we do a really fun night in Grand Rapids, Michigan called Grand Rapids Soul Club. It's once a month. I do play uh, an Aquarian Dream record there occasionally from Norman Connors. I'll play You Are My Starship on 45, you know, beginning of the night. So super good vibes if you're ever in Grand Rapids and the timing is right. I highly recommend Grand Rapids Soul Club. Other than that, you know, just whatever, man. I, I love music, always open to new things at all times. And I just hope everybody's mentally fit for 2021 because we've all been through a crazy ass year so for sure yeah just keep the good music coming we gotta survive somehow right are we one one more thing are we are you guys playing creator has a master plan that is the track we're going out on for okay. sure so <laughs> okay. we should probably intro that just a little bit before we head out of here this is a song that kind of became one of Farrell sanders staple songs played a lot live um co-written by the great leon thomas mm, yeah and uh, Gary Bartz just kills it on saxophone on this one. So this is the the full-on nod to free jazz, although they do a little bit more tame version than some of the ones Pharaoh Sanders was doing. But final track on the album, The Creator Has a Master Plan, Norman Connors. Thanks for being with us, Andrew. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, guys. That was fun. Definitely. Here we go. All right. Thank you for listening to I'd Buy That for a Dollar. This is Peter Cook signing off. Sean Hartman signing off. Jeremy Ruggles accidentally signing on and then signing off. <laughs> Andrew, aka Andreas, thank you for having me. Gia. Gia. Mm-hmm.